Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. That's at Patreon.com/slash I Love That Movie, all one word. Um, and if you sign up, you do get a weekly bonus episode of my kind of weekly roundup of everything else that I'm watching. Like this week, I saw uh, House of Gucci. Candyman, a few other things. But anyway, uh, I do want to take a moment to thank my top patrons, and they are Chris Balga, Jeff Widman, Philip Barker, and Michael Cross. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. Uh, I have a returning guest on the podcast. I have Chase. Say hi, Chase. Hi, Chase. <laughs> hey, everyone. And yes, it's good to have you back. It's good to hear from you. It is such a pleasure, such a joy to be back here talking, talking a little flick with you, Lisa. <laughs> yes. And Chase, why don't you tell our listeners about your podcast and about yourself? Sure. So for uh, anyone that doesn't know me, my name is Chase McKinney, and um, I run a, um, a little Star Trek podcast called These Are the Voyages, and uh, we talk about pretty much anything and everything Star Trek, and uh, currently we are inundated with a bunch of new Star Trek that just is no coming, kidding. coming out left, right, and center. And it is a wonderful time to be a Star Trek fan. That is for sure. It uh, really so, is. <laughs> so const- constantly doing like reviews of shows like Star Trek Prodigy um, on their first season, um, Star Trek Discovery now in their fourth season. And um, we're, I'm constantly doing book reviews um, at least once a month. So um, if you want to get connected, check us out. Uh, you can find us on all the uh, different podcasting places. Um, and you can also connect with us on all the socials at TRTV pod. Um, and we have a website trtvpod.com. So I'm happy to have anyone and everyone that, um, is interested in Trek, um, or has been leery of it. Uh, we're not gatekeepers. Uh, we just want you to come in and have fun. And that's, that's, that's the point. Just have fun talking Trek. I love that you emphasize that. Cause that is, you know, that's tough with any fandom. It's like, it can be a little bit intimidating. And I do think, unfortunately, Star Trek has gotten the reputation of having somewhat of a gatekeepy fandom. Star, you know, Trekkies are passionate about the show that they Very connect much. with, <laughs> and I'm I'm no different. But I love what you said about like making it open to everybody because I completely agree with that. And I've been on that show too. So yes, you have. Go check it out. Um, and you've been on here. Normally, you talk Star Trek, but my guest always picks a movie. You picked a different movie today. What movie did you pick to talk about? I know I threw you for a loop on this one, and I you um, did. <laughs> <laughs> I chose uh, one of my absolute favorite um, musicals, um, the 1962 film The Music Man. So you're not the only person to have picked this film, and I had to think about it before I made my decision. Uh, 
Scott also wanted to talk about this film. Okay. Um, you know, he's a good friend and he, uh, had picked a long time ago. However, he does pick a ton of movies. <laughs> so I made the executive decision that we had talked about Music Man a long time ago. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to let that one out of the vault and I'm going to let you have it. Okay. And I do that occasionally. Hopefully I don't hurt any feelings. But if somebody has been on the show a bunch of times and they have a long list, then I'll, I'll do my best at first. But sometimes I have to let some of them go. So I gave you Music Man. Oh, thank <laughs> a you. A little thank bit of you. background. And, and, <laughs> and Scott-, Scott was very gracious about it. Scott, I've never met you, but I love you, appreciate you. I'll try and do you proud with this discussion. How about that? There you go. <laughs> so this film came out in 1962. I imagine that's not when you first saw it, because I think that's a little before your time. But when did you first see this movie? <laughs> so I, I can recall seeing this, um, vividly seeing it, at least 2000, I think it was three, uh, okay. first time I saw it. Cool. And, um, yeah, it was, um, so I was definitely in high school, uh, when this was, was, um, coming out, but, um, there, there's, there's a story to that as well. So, uh, we, we can get into that, I guess, um, as you so choose. Oh yeah. Whenever you want, you can tell it now or, or you can wait either way. So, um, in, in Where's high yours? school, um, so I guess I'll just start with high school. So in high school, um, we would always do spring musicals, um, with the oh, drama, cool. de- drama department and everything. And, um, I had originally um, wanted to be in this particular musical. Uh, we would, whatever musical we were doing for the spring, we would typically watch it if there was some kind of, uh, you know, movie, some kind of something or another of it uh, prior to the spring. So we knew kind of what we were getting ourselves into, kind of what the character portrayals were like, um, if it was even appropriate for high school and, uh, mm-hmm. and it being vetted and stuff like that. And, um, I originally wanted to be in this. Like, I didn't care like what role I was. And um, as it happened, the days that um, auditions were, I was unable to be at the audition. So I didn't actually get a chance to even try out for this. But oh, no. one of my, I know one of my bucket list uh, things though before I die is I do want to uh, portray, or I'd like to portray Harold Hill at least one time before I die on stage. So. We'll see. <laughs> it's a tall order, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it could happen. I mean, we don't know. It could, you know, local theater or, you know, whatever you choose. There's got to be, I feel like there's a lot of openings out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, not only that, but like the thing that I liked about this, like um, apart from the story and the music and stuff uh, with kind of the exposure, the, the exposure I really had with it was that this is something that really uh, got me to appreciate like the technical side of theater. So um, mm. prior to this, uh, you know, being being um, in like the drama class and the drama club and being inducted into the thespian society, even in high school, um, I would typically just be like an usher or something. Not that there's anything wrong with being an usher, but just that's typically what I would do whenever these productions would happen. And it was through this particular play that I got to um, cut my teeth with um, like set design. I got to cut my teeth with um, even some lighting and some sound engineering in high school. Um, So it opened up a lot of really cool opportunities that I got to use even beyond high school, going into um, certain parts of like college and um, other extracurricular things that I did even into my young adult years. Uh, I'm still a young adult, I suppose, but... um, Anyways, like just like the creative stuff, like really, um, like was 
in a way birthed out of this particular play, out of this particular musical. So, um, oh wow, yeah. Well, uh, bomb drop here. Uh, it's the first time I've ever seen it. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, it's been requested by at least one person. I think that there's been a couple other people that may have like not officially requested, it, but at least mentioned it, but I had not seen it. Um, and, you know, there's this thing that happens, especially with these older musicals where I'm like, have I seen it? You know what I mean? Like, you're Absolutely. like did yeah, I yeah. see this as a kid, you know, but I watched the whole thing today, actually, and I had not seen it. So this is my first time. So I don't have a lot of background about it, but... I'm excited to chat about it. And um, before we continue, I do want to let listeners know that this will not be spoiler free. I guess uh-uh. spoilers aren't as big of a deal in a musical. But anyway, I suggest that you watch it first before you listen to this. Um, and with that, I'm going to read the synopsis real quick. Great. When Harold Hill, a traveling con man, arrives in River City, he convinces the locals to start a band by purchasing the uniforms and instruments from him. His intention is to flee as soon as he receives the money. Librarian Marion Peru suspects Harold is a fraud, but holds her tongue till her, because her moody brother Winthrop is excited about the band. As Harold begins to develop feelings for Marion, he faces a difficult decision about skipping town. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the plot in a nutshell, but we will kind of dive into all the the ins yeah. and outs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this one was directed by Morton DaCosta. Do you know anything about this director? Is he are you a fan, or is this like the main film that you've seen of his? I think it's the main main film that I've seen of him. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I think he he was also involved in the original Broadway play, uh, which was oh, something that okay. was which was something that was. Um, pretty yeah. unheard of for that particular time. Oh, interesting. I mean, you think it would make sense. I know that obviously stage is different from film, but when it comes to something like a musical, you'd think that, you know, they go hand in hand. But yeah, I'm reading that on here that he had a lot of Broadway success. Yeah. He doesn't have a ton of films that he directed under his belt, it seems like. So yeah, it seems like he's mainly theater. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and that was, that was something I was uh, finding out too, as I was going through this, that um, preparing for this particular show that, um, you know, like today you, you have like Broadway and other like theater companies that like can go, go hand in hand with Hollywood. And like, there might be like that, that, um, bag of money that they have just to throw around, but like 1950s, 60s, 70s, it was very much unheard of. Um, mm. and for the, the fact that he was willing to, um, come on board and to help finance um, this this production, I think is is fantastic. I mean, like you still have like that um, creative vision that you had on stage coming forth uh, to the silver screen uh, for yeah. people that wouldn't have been able to see it on Broadway, perhaps. That's a good point. Um, I also have a couple of quick facts I was going to throw out there. I actually put four down. So here's the first one. Sure. Uh, despite Robert Preston's Tony Award-winning performance in the Broadway production. Warner Brothers executives wanted a bankable star in the lead role of Professor Harold Hill for the movie. Uh, Frank Sinatra was actually offered the part, but he turned it down. Cary Grant was also approached, but told the Warner Brothers executives, no, I will not star in it if Preston doesn't star in it, mm-hmm. which is apparently something that he's done a couple of times. So that's noble of him. I appreciate that. <laughs> he's like, don't, don't do that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to, I was, I was, I, I'd come across that myself too. 
And I'm kind of wondering what it would have been like to have old blue eyes as uh, Professor Harold Hill in the music. I know. Man. I, I feel like he's almost like too edgy, right? Or maybe that's just his real life persona that kind of <laughs> makes sure. me think that. Sure. Um, this film has 17 of some 40 songs in all that Meredith Wilson wrote for mm -hmm. the musical. Mm -hmm. And not all, not all of them are even on the stage either. So just really wrote a lot of songs for this one. <laughs> yeah, there's, he wrote um, his, part of his bi biography um, in coming up with this. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting um, because of just like the fact that he was uh, very musically inclined himself and um, he had like a lot of um, startups and kind of like setbacks in terms of like even crafting the story. And mm. um, and then like even trying to like find like the right sound, the right tune to like some of the songs. Uh, that was a struggle itself. So, um, yeah, like just how it came all together and just like the, the songs that we do have, I think, speak for themselves uh, for anyone that's seen it, especially anyone that just loves the soundtrack for this as well. Yeah, and I, I did, that was part of my my other fact about Meredith Wilson is that, uh, you know, a lot of this is based on their own experiences, as you said, and growing up in Iowa, and um, that's, I just think that's cool when people write about their experiences. Uh, the last thing that I'm going to say is related to Meredith Wilson again, uh, Till There Was You was recorded by the Beatles after Paul McCartney was introduced to Peggy Lee's cover of the song. McCartney actually had no idea that it was from the music band and the <laughs> song was part of their repertoire in 1962. They performed it at the Star Club in Hamburg. It showed they could appeal to all audiences moving easily from somber ballads to harder rock and roll. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I was I like, wow, that. that's a, you know, but it's like when you're covering something in 1962, uh, it's possible to cross over with the Beatles. So that's, I just thought, thought that was interesting. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's really cool. That's really cool. Well, um, do you want to talk about the cast or do you want to um, dive into your thoughts on some of the scenes? So um, I wanted to like, there's like one or two things. Um, okay like else beside um, that I want to maybe bring up. Um, oh, sure. Go ahead. And, and then, yeah, we can start wherever. I don't really care. I can talk about any part of this. Doesn't matter to me. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> um, so one thing that you don't know, and I'm sure that your listeners don't know about me is that I actually do play trombone. And Oh, cool. What a good connection. No wonder yes. you like this movie. <laughs> so yeah. And so whenever um, I first saw this, right. Um, and there's a song called 76 Trombones, which I think is like the most popular song from the music man, if I'm being completely honest. Mm -hmm. um, it was like my anthem. Like I remember <laughs> like really related to it. I really related to it. Um, not just because of that, but because like you're hearing like, you know, John Philip Sousa, W.C. Handy, uh, the great creator, you know, you're hearing like these lyrics uh, coming mm -hmm. from this song. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's that's what I'm talking about. And then like you get a little bit of a hint of Stars and Stripes Forever, which is definitely a, a John Philip Sousa song. And I mean, this was like my anthem. Um, like I was saying, like with um, with like the spring musicals and things like that, the the instructor would give the class a um, uh, essentially back then, like we didn't have um, uh, like Spotify's and YouTube's to just go, you know, pull up a song. So she would actually burn CDs or get tapes or something for us to like borrow and listen to, um, to prepare as well. So I actually got a copy of the CD and I remember I put it in my CD player and I just like 
played this song on repeat over and over and over again. I'm like, yes, finally trombones, we get a little something, something. <laughs> and um, I was, I was just so excited about that. Um, so, so that, that was one thing. Um, and the other thing is um, one thing that I tend to camp out on a lot in, on my own show is the music. Like what does the music mm. do to move the story forward? Um, is this an appropriate song? Does it capture the whatever it is that's taking place type of thing? Yeah. And I, I'm sure I'll talk, I'm going to talk about that uh, just by virtue of this show being called The Music Man. But there's um, there are these two types of, of soundtrack, these two types of songs that we um, that we hear that we might not realize that we hear, um, okay. not just in this one, but in a lot of movies. And that's the mm-hmm. difference between source music and diegetic music. I don't know if you're familiar okay. with that at all. Oh, no. You, a lot of things that you said just now about trombones and famous uh, songwriters and things like that, I am, I, I have never, I don't play any instruments. Okay, <laughs> so you're teaching enough. me right now. Fair enough. So source music, <laughs> source music is like the stuff that you're hearing, right? Like there's like okay. no, maybe no instruments playing, but it's like just the music that you hear, it's part of the show type of thing. Mm-hmm. Diegetic music, the best example I can give of, of, a, of diegetic music is um, from a different uh, movie, um, the movie Home Alone. So if you think think to um, Home Alone, whenever Kevin McAllister is, um, he has like the cardboard um, cutouts doing like the little silhouette party thing, trying to keep the wet bandits away. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's playing the, I think it's Rock Around the Christmas Tree or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. So diegetic music is where not only can we, the audience, hear the music, but the characters can hear the music as well. So, oh, okay, I understand now. So it's like, is it a part of the film in that mm-hmm. it, you know they're not aware they're in a musical kind of thing, or right. are they enjoying the music with us? Okay, right. That's probably yeah, I, I could have said that. Yeah. So good job. <laughs> no, I liked your example with Home Alone, and it made me think about how a couple of years ago we saw a. Uh, like a, a John Williams concert where it was like all the Christmas music sure. and there was a lot of home alone, a lot of Harry Potter and stuff. So anyway, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So the, there's, you have these examples of source music and diegetic music taking place in the music man. Um, it's not, mm. as, there's not as much diegetic as you would think there would be for this particular right. production. Um, like, uh, uh, what would be a good example? So, um, the very end, Right, the very end. Whenever we have um, the, the the band, there's like there's mm-hmm. actually a band, and that is that is diegetic mu- music taking place at its finest right there, because um, they are playing it, that we are hearing it, they are hearing it, but the rest of it is essentially just source music, and I just mm-hmm. I just think it's kind of funny, um, like, I mean, with with what I do. Um, Whenever I'm adulting, being a counselor, I'm like, wow, this is like on their head, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, like there's a part where they're in like the, uh, the gym and um, they're like, they're like doing the motions for like trombones and piccolos and stuff like that. And, oh, um, yeah. and like, they don't hear it, but they're like pretending that they hear, it, but we can hear it. And it's, it's just funny whenever, I, to me, it's funny when you think of it that way. Um, yeah, well, also, like you said, what the musical is actually about, you think that they would be enjoying more music during the musical. Right. It's called the music band. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. yeah, no, I, I can definitely see that. Right. 
I mean, shapoopy, uh, which is a word that was made up, by the way. Um, like that oh, particular not, not song. Not in the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like so. So the the song shapoopy that was. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a good diegetic song right there because they can hear. Yeah. It. There is music that's taking place. They're dancing to it. It's the the what the women's uh, dance committee or something like that that meets mm-hmm. on Tuesday nights. <laughs> yeah. So they're very uh, cute. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out. Um, like I thought no, that was a good point uh, about the the different types of music that we're we're experiencing um, that people might not know what the word actually is for. Well, now I'm going to think about that the next time I watch a musical. <laughs> I watched two musicals this week because I watched this and I watched Tick Tick Boom earlier, so it's been kind of a musical week for me. How about that? Love that. Um, what what do you want to talk about next? I don't know. Um, one thing. I, okay, I guess I'll say this. Um, the way that this starts, um, where with the train, mm-hmm. uh, I love the heck out of this. <laughs> uh, I just, I just love the heck out of this uh, for a couple of reasons. One, you have Harold Hill, who's just chilling there. He's just sitting there, kind of paying attention to what's going on, not saying a darn thing, and everyone else is just venting about this guy in in song form. And I just love that. I just love. Yeah. I don't know why I love it so much, but it's just. I just it's think so it's hilarious. fast too. Like I, I like whenever that song starts, I was like, almost found it like surprising, like jarring or something where it was like, I don't know, like they're just talking so quickly and they're kind of singing, kind of not singing. I just thought it was an interesting song, but it like accurately reflects what they're doing. Right. And, and accurately reflecting the pace, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of of the train that they're, they're on. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this Lisa or, or seen the interview, but it was, um, it was Hugh Jackman was being interviewed by, oh shoot, uh, was it Conan? I think it was Conan. It might've been Conan. It was one of the, one of the late night um, interviews. That's all I remember. And it was around the time that Hugh Jackman was being, um, like doing like his little press circuit or whatever for uh, greatest showman, I believe. And okay. people, and people were kind of surprised like, oh shoot, this guy can sing type of thing. Yeah. And what most people, I mean, people associate Hugh Jackman as just like the Wolverine and that's it. Right. Right. Um, but like he was doing musicals long before he, you know, put on the claws and, you know, mm-hmm. was a mutant and stuff. Um, but with, with what he was, um, when he first was getting into theater, he, he actually auditioned for his very first musical using that particular song from the music man. That doesn't surprise me. Like I could see him doing that. Just mm-hmm. based on like what I've seen of him in like The Greatest Showman or Le Mis, like I could totally see that. That 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 feels so him. Sure. Yeah. And the and the thing that's like really cool. And if I could convince my wife to do this, um, I would be a very happy man. But um, there's going to be a revival of The Music Man um, here in about a year. And um, oh, cool. Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman is going to be Professor Harold Hill on Broadway. Oh, that's like a perfect role for him. Absolutely. So Although I'm, I will say, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just like super excited about that. Like, if I could That's get to New York cool. and actually see it, like that would be fantastic. Just to see, like, Rock Island be sung, hear him sing, you know, Trouble and all the other songs, that'd be fantastic. Maybe you can make it like a dual trip, you know, like find something she wants to do in New York, and then it'll be kind of like a 
50 50. <laughs> there we go. Um, Harold Hill for me reminds me a lot of Dick Van Dyke. Like he feels like a Dick Van Dyke like template or something. I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. But maybe that's because I just saw Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> I, I mean, it is from like a very the, like the similar a similar era. It is. It is. And they're I guess they're similar types of leading men. Maybe that's what it is. But it kind of reminds yeah. me of him. Yeah, both very charismatic, uh very um very jovial and just high energy yeah and like handsome but like a little bit older than their co-star you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like Mm -hmm. they have an edge to them where it's kind of uh it's like they're handsome but they also like the fact that he's a con man also you're like i can kind of see it Mm -hmm. (laughs) like Mm -hmm. there's just something there with that i don't know yeah but he's probably you know i don't recognize a ton of the cast if i'm honest besides ron howard (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, little, little Ronnie Howard, uh, before, yeah. before he graduated and became Ron Howard, um, little Richie Cunningham and the director mm-hmm. that we know today. Um, so crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. And you got to think too, that with, with, um, Ron Howard at this point, like he had been on the Andy Griffith show for two years at this point. Oh yeah. I always forget that he was on that. Mm-hmm. But I haven't seen it in a long time, man. I feel like the Andy Griffith show comes up on this podcast a lot i guess just because we talk about movies but um yeah he's he's such an adorable kid man his hair is so red (laughs) when he's little i mean i guess it's pretty red now the hair that he has but that's true yeah when he was a kid it's just bright red yeah and so so i I grew up like vicariously watching um the andy griffith show just because of my my dad always had i've watched it a lot too i have an aunt that we call aunt b that's awesome that's awesome. Um. <laughs> she's she's very good natured about it. Since she doesn't, you know, she was very young, so the, she was probably like, I don't want to be Aunt B. But <laughs> yeah, she Look, took it well. Aunt B took care of things, man. She did. She did. She ran things. Um, but like, yeah, like when you're watching the Andy Griffith show, at least, especially like you know the early seasons, it's all black and white. And right, then, like, that's what I'm thinking of, and I'm th- I think that's why I was like, I forgot he was on that. Mm-hmm. And then boom, Technicolor baby bright red <laughs> hair here we go it is wild that like i was born you know in the 80s but a lot of the tv that i watched uh was you know andy griffith's show leave it to beaver and stuff like that <laughs> yeah but you know nick at night kind of had a lot to do with that definitely yeah that's yeah like happy happy days and wonder years man that's mm-hmm. that's how i, I watched um that's why I watched a lot of on uh, Nick at Night and whatever it came later on. But yeah. Um, so between Robert Preston um, and you know Ron Howard, Ronnie Howard, uh, we also had Buddy Hackett, who right, Buddy Hackett. I know the name, but anyway, continue. So he was. Um, I mean, he was a pretty prolific, like, comedic character actor um, in the the fifties, sixties, and seventies, and he wasn't one of the first choices um, to come on as Marcellus. And in fact, with Marcellus, um, or I'm sorry, with Buddy Hackett, he couldn't dance at all. And he had to work extensively with a choreographer to be able to turn him into the dancer that he was for this particular film, especially with um, the number Shapoopy, which of course is the Marcellus song. 
Oh, that is so interesting. I never would have known that watching mm -hmm. it. I mean, he, did, he did a good job. And then people listening might know him, younger audiences, as Scuttle from The Little Mermaid. That's right. <laughs> Which is what happens when actors get older. It's like you remember the cartoon they were in instead. But mm -hmm. Yeah, I looked. I was looking at that and um, just like to see like what other stuff um, Buddy Hackett was in. And I was like, man, he was like 60 something whenever um, he portrayed Scuttle and uh, Little Mermaid. That's just wild to me and then like he was in like the original love bug mm -hmm. yeah which i remember watching that a lot too and shirley jones who plays um marion the madam librarian um she i didn't watch it but i know that she was on um partridge family um yeah i i never watched partridge family growing up um but you know i was more of a brady bunch kind of fan same but um that's interesting that's cool. Yeah. And the, here's another interesting thing about um, about her. Um, there, what they did a um, a revival of sorts, um, uh, early 2000s, and she was in the production. But instead of playing Marion, obviously, she ended up playing Mrs. Peru. So she got uh, to play okay. um, her own mother, essentially. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Yeah. Full circle. Yeah, and I, and I was like, as I was. Um, you know, rewatching it, preparing for this show and having this lovely discussion with you. I was like, just watching, um, like some of the numbers that, um, uh, Mrs. Prue was, was doing. And, um, especially the part where, um, Harold Hill and, uh, Mrs. Prue are in the, the yard kind of singing and dancing together. I'm like, that had to have been so much fun for Shirley to do, um, yeah. for that revival. That is really cool. So anyway, um, but yeah, such a, such a lovely, um, a lovely musical, um, that originally came out in 1957. So the original came out in 1957, which Robert Preston was part of, um, he was one of the, he was the originator of the role of professor Harold Hill. Oh, very cool. I'm glad that they kept, they stuck with him, you know? Yes, me too. And like, like we were saying at the beginning, like it would be kind of weird to have, you know, anyone but him like yeah frank sinatra i mean that i mean i mean yeah he was the thing back then but I, mean, I just can't it's hard for me to imagine anyone but robert preston as harold hill it's hard for me to imagine frank sinatra invading like a small midwestern town <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's part of why i'm like having trouble with it <laughs> absolutely absolutely so um i don't know where do you want to, um, where, do, where should we go next? Uh, do you want to talk about some of your favorite scenes? Sure. Sure. Or numbers, uh, wh whichever. <laughs> well, obviously 76 trombones. I mean, since I'm yes. a trombone player, uh, <laughs> um, trouble that is, oh. you got trouble is, uh, probably a song that I incorporate as much as I can in normal life. Um, whenever someone says, like you're in trouble or you got trouble, then that's like automatically <laughs> what I go to. I somehow end up sounding like a dork and just say, yeah, with a capital T that rhymes with P and stands for pool. And I get like question mark looks um, <laughs> whenever, whenever I say that. And I'm like, all right, I, over, I overstepped. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but um, that, so that song, I don't know if you knew this, but part of the audition process um, that not, that's um, that has been pretty typical from what I understand. And I know that we we did this just 
by the um, the conversations that uh, were had uh, in high school, but the way that the role of Harold Hill was selected was, can you do trouble? Oh, okay. Because kind trouble, test. yeah, because trouble is like the most difficult um, song lyrically of the entire yeah. show. And they wanted to make sure that the person portraying him could actually pull it off. And I remember reading somewhere that uh, Robert Preston actually had um, trouble himself just because of like, he was apprehensive just because of his own range and mm. like if he would be a good fit for the role and he went and did it and then, you know, he like knocked it out of the park and then the rest is history essentially. And um, like I said, like in high school, I didn't get to go to the auditions like I was saying, but um, they did a, a very similar thing and it was, um, it was kind of cool. Like knowing, knowing that like after the fact that they did the, essentially the same thing that they had the original Broadway star do. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like, well, this is the hardest part of the act. So let's see what you can do with that and then go from there. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I love the fact, like, I love this song um, in the sense, because like, this is the thing that um, really shows like his scheme, you mm -hmm. know, because like he's talking um, like he, he rolls into town, you know, trying to figure out where the center of town is and everyone's giving him a hard time just being curmudgeons <laughs> and stuff, which I love. And he runs into his buddy and he's trying to find an inn, um, like with these people. And he's like saying like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta, um, you know, win them over. I gotta get their confidence. Like what's, what's a thing, like what's something new that I can kind of take advantage of. And even before you, you hear the song, you got trouble, you see, this, this, uh, wagon carrying in this new billiard table, um, as, as part of that original scene. And, mm. um, and just like the fact that that's happening and that's taking place, um, and just how it all comes together. I loved, and, um, just like watching some of the extras, like singing and dancing in the song is just funny. If you like, you pay attention to like some of the, um, um, just like some of them, like on the fringes. I don't know if you were, you noticed that or were paying any attention to that at all. I'd probably have to see it a second time just because it was the first time that I see it. But I love that detail about musicals in general that they're just such a big cast. Because, I mean, originally it's supposed to be on stage, so you can look at, like, several different people at once. Right, right. You, and you have – so you have um, in, um, in the, the town square where they're singing this, like, right by this, this giant statue, um, you have, like, a bunch of, like, random people. And if you look – um, like in the, the background and like a few in the foreground, you can see just some of the people that are kind of like looking off to the side, like looking for the cue to like, which way do I wave my hand or do I, <laughs> do I stand up? Do I duck down? What do I do? And um, I, I just, I love that. Um, there's just something just so innocent about that. And that's one thing I love about musicals is there's a good story. There's almost mm -hmm. always a good story in a musical and there's an innocence about, about musicals that I, I don't think you get with a lot of productions anymore um, or even yeah, with stage. And I think for sure. I, I think it has to do a lot with the times, you know, it's like, what were people looking to do during this time? You know, were they trying to escape what was going on in the real world? You know, mm -hmm. and I, I think a lot of times musicals get really popular in eras where things were tough, you know, for sure. and so they looked to something really optimistic and, 
pleasant to watch because of that. And so you get some of these great movies that have just very like, like you said, very innocent, uplifting Americana type messages. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is, this is um, just a, a, just a lovely song. And it's one that um, I will put on repeat um, to listen to just because it's just so much fun. Like just the pacing, just everything is just so, so fun about, about this song and just how he uses and crafts his words to create a narrative, to get people to go against a stupid little billiard table for crying out loud. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, other than that, like this other song that I think is that rings very true for each and every one of us. Um, I think you could switch out um, one thing for the other and it would still hit the same. And that's the Wells Fargo wagon. Oh yeah. I, w I thought that part was really interesting because obviously Wells Fargo. And I was like, man, I, I guess I forget how long Wells Fargo has been around. What, what year does this movie take place in do you know so this movie takes place in 1912 the summer of 1912. 1912 okay and when this came out that had only been you know 50 years ago that's right well less than 50 but yeah that's too right. weird to think about yeah so i was thinking like as i've seen this too many times to count um, i have not seen this anywhere near as much as i've seen star trek first contact by the way so, <laughs> so for anyone that hasn't listened to that episode or listened to my podcast at all um, I've seen Star Trek First Contact um, well over 200 times. This one I've seen probably like 30 or 40 times. So I love I love this musical. Um, but the Wells Fargo Wagon, you could substitute the Wells Fargo Wagon for the Amazon delivery driver, and it would be the same thing. <laughs> that is 100% true. That's the part that I was surprised by. Like everyone looks forward to the wagon and it bringing them stuff, and I'm like... In my mind, it's a bank. <laughs> I was struggling with yeah. understanding that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, times change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even, um, um, oh, shoot. I might be messing this up. Uh, one of your listeners probably yelling at me through the speaker right now with what I'm about to say. But um, I think it was in, was it End of Back of the Future 2 that Wells Fargo delivered the Western Union telegram? Oh, shoot. I do not remember, and I've talked about that on the show and seen that movie like a thousand times. <laughs> well, there we go. But someone will know. It's okay. They're yelling at us right now as we're having this conversation. It's fine. Yeah. How it's dare fine. we not know that? <laughs> um, I wanted to add that the vibe, you know, I was talking about the year. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Meet Me in St. Louis. I, don't, I haven't seen that. Oh, you haven't? Oh, well, no. um, I actually only saw it because Kelly... Uh, Kelly picked it for one of our episodes on the show. She really likes it. And it takes place at the turn of the century during a world's fair. Okay. And I don't know. It's just, I guess it's just very like American. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but like, you know, um, this is what's good about smaller towns in the Midwest or whatever. And they, I think they go to like a big fair and I shouldn't say, I think they do, but it's yeah, I think you should check it out. I will definitely have to check that out. Yeah. Um, whenever I, I was um, like looking at and like the year and everything, um, the, the 
the role, the job that I wanted to do when I was uh, a kid, like, I'm like, this is what I want to be when I grow up. I wanted to be an oceanographer, and that had to do largely with um, the movie Titanic that came out in 1997. Oh. I can see that, the way that they filmed uh, the ocean in that movie. Yes, and, and you got to think, like, with this one, with The Music Man taking place in the summer of 1912, I mean, this had only been, like, four months, right, since mm-hmm. the Titanic had sunk. So, like, this would have been, like, wow. still really popular news back then. That That's an interesting thing to think about. Right. Right. So, um, you see, um, so I, I know I'm jumping around, but whenever um, Harold Hill, excuse me, whenever Harold Hill rolls up into town and everyone is singing Iowa Stubborn to him, um, he... he <laughs> He plants his his suitcase. He sits down. He watches people um, coming out of a building. And in the archway, uh, portico, whatever it's called, you can see a portrait of uh, President Taft. So Taft is still president oh, at wow. this point. I miss that. That's interesting. <laughs> so this would have been just before um, the election of 1912 when Woodrow Wilson would have been elected to be the next president. Oh, Okay. Uh, so um, in 1912, I believe it was Taft, Wilson, and uh, Roosevelt, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm. And and Wilson <clears throat> Wilson won decidedly. So um, yeah, wow. so that's that's kind of like where we're at um, in the time frame of this. And um, as we're going by, like I'm I'm looking at these um, um, like the flags that are kind of like on the. The, like the just the different like street corners and stuff like that like do are there the right amount of stars on those flags uh for 1912 <laughs> so <laughs> that's something i would not notice but that's very cool uh yeah like so just a, just a bunch of like real like the the detail that they were putting into this like i, I just really appreciated um yeah so um but like moving moving through this um there, there is like one other like song, song and a half, I think, um, that I just really, really like. And I was actually um, singing it with my wife um, before, you know, having this conversation with you. And that was Till There Was You. Mm. I love that song. It is just so beautiful. And you, you hear, um, especially whenever they're, they're going, doing the back and forth outside of Marion's house in this movie, um, seeing 70, like excerpts of um, 76 trombones and Till There Was You uh, or Good Night My Someone, you know, they're kind of like sifting through all that stuff and then they start to switch. And mind you, like we're in like the back third by that point, but it, it's such a powerful moment, I think, that's taken place whenever um, Robert Preston's Harold Hill and Shirley Jones's uh, Marion are singing each other's songs and just the switch and the change in depth of characters. Um, mm. I, it, it just gets me. It just gets me every time. And um, it's, it's just written so well. It's scored so well too. Yeah. I guess that's why it became such a popular song. That's why Paul McCartney liked it. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, I don't know. The, the, all the songs are good in their own right. All of them. Um, and um, 
I don't know. I could gush about every single one of them, but I don't know if I, if I should do that here, here on, on your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, gush about what you want for sure. I mean, I'll, I'll hold back. I'll hold back. We'll, <laughs> we'll, just, we'll leave it alone for right now. Okay. <laughs> I guess an aspect I want to inject that I like, I'm always going to mention this in probably every movie like this, but loved all the costumes. Yeah. What was your, I, uh, what was your favorite ahead. costume? My favorite costume. I guess I hadn't selected a favorite, but I like when, um, I guess I like her like librarian outfits <laughs> the most for some okay. reason. I don't know. I think she just looks really cute. And then also, I guess um, that society of women you were talking about earlier, like the older ladies that um, plan stuff. Um, I like their dresses. Like they're a little more like, well-to-do, dressed-up kind of uh, outfits. They're a bit, a bit gaudy, but I think that they are cool to look at and would be fun to make. Okay. You're talking about the Pig Little Talk Little? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Which, that for anyone that hasn't seen this, the, the this these um, well-to-do, older, gossipy <laughs> women. Gossip is a good, good term for them, yeah. There we go. Um so they, they like the, the, the mayor's wife has her hands in like everything pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, like she's, she's pulling It's a strings. small town, you know, they, they, uh, they keep their themselves busy best they can, I guess. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. And I, the, there's a part in this where the, um, oh, I got to talk about this in a second too, where the, 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 group of men and the group of ladies, they all kind of come together. And just before that, you see like a bunch of chickens running around, uh, <laughs> pecking at the ground, like trying to eat some stuff. And then you get like this top down shot of, of the ladies like bobbing their head. And it's like, it's yeah. perfect. It's a perfect parallel between like the chickens trying to eat food and the ladies just being a bunch of hens. It's great. But what's funny about it to me is the perspective that I have now is so different from when I was like a kid. Like when I was a kid, if I saw this movie, I would have been like, God, they're so annoying. But now as an adult, I'm like, they're fun parts to play though. Cause they get to be so big and over the top. Like yeah. I feel like, like, like that's a fun role to be one of these little busybody ladies, especially yes. the main one. Cause she's the, the mayor's wife. Cause she's just so impossible. Like, isn't she the one that, uh, is so mean to the librarian about a book that she let her daughter read or suggested yes. to her daughter. It's like, she yes. really doesn't want her daughter to like read anything interesting. And of course, being a librarian, she's kind of like, are you serious lady? <laughs> um, she's just someone that she's, she's always having like a big shocking, you know, I'm horrified. I'm offended moment. And you know, a lot of it has to do with her feelings towards her because of her having all the books like they're talking about in the song. <laughs> yes. Yes. And speak. So speaking of the dirty books <laughs> that Mrs. Shin is, is so dead set against, um, you know, having um, the light Madam librarian um, encourage the, the people, the young people of river city with, um, I, I looked this up. So she identifies um, several of these, these different authors Um in their, their little pig, a little talk, a little song, um, Chaucer, Rabelais, Balzac, 
And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have a really hard time with that particular author. I don't, I'm not familiar with their work, but I'm assuming they're like love poems or something. So here's, here's the thing with, with Chaucer. So Canterbury Tales. Oh, so, actually, I took a class on Canterbury Tales in okay. college. So you probably know way more about Chaucer than I do, but. Um, the, I wouldn't go that far, but yeah, sure. Sure. Well, <laughs> I've never read him, so you're you're oh, okay. You're more read than I am when it comes to him. But um, his book apparently was being one of the most banned and um, controversial books in general, just because of how much it criticized the church and mm. um, themes of sexuality. In, in oh books. yeah, it's a uh, it's wild. I mean, it's and and you know it's it's made up of stories that weren't necessarily written by Chaucer. They're just stories that were popular at that time that are collected into a book. But there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in it. I mean, you know, how much time do you have? But yeah, it's it's uh, you know violent and sexual and pretty controversial by today's standards like there's a lot of i mean you know and and plus it's really hard to read because it's like in old english and <laughs> the teacher that we had like would only speak that way and talk that way you know during the class so huh. it was it was tough to get to get through when you're like shocked you're like oh i, I didn't know I'm, I'm this ignorant i had no idea but yeah i could see why um you know if you're in a small town that that doesn't know a lot about it, they probably would be like, oh my God, no, you guys can't read this. <laughs> well, and, and Rabelais, which was one of the other authors that they mentioned in the song too, uh, was very much like like Chaucer in the mm. sense that it was um, satirical and criticized the church. Gotcha. So again, okay, like, yeah, that's a red flag for a small town like that. They're like, um, no. <laughs> and then um, the other one with Balzac, since that was another um, more popular one, um, uh, there were a lot of sexual themes that were considered highly inappropriate with um, the writing that um, he, he did. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. And not only that, but he apparently wrote very um, realistic and with like no filter. So. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, yeah, for a small town, those, those three, mm, yeah, probably not so much. Oh, you know what? I said Old English and I meant Middle English. I felt really bad when I said that out loud. I was like, that's wrong. So anyway. It's there you go. Strike that. English. Replace it. There we yeah. go. Sorry, y'all. I only took one class. I'm definitely not an expert. <laughs> and I am no expert at all. So there we go. We're in, <laughs> we're in good company, I suppose. <laughs> um, there was... so. Look, I'm not a prude or anything. I mean, maybe people would argue that I am. I don't know. But there's like one song that just, I don't know, like I have a hard time with, um, okay. like with, with the time that this is in. Oh. Uh, and that is The Sadder But Wiser Girl For Me. And it's Harold Hill and Marcellus. They're, they're in the stable. They're talking about... Um, Oh, like what women are like, like fast yeah. women. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I'm like, I feel like people wouldn't have said that back then. <laughs> right. Trying to appeal to the 60s, I guess. Exactly. That that was my point that I was I was going to get at is that, you know, this is 1912, not 1962. And talking about like this, I don't want no wholesome, um, down to earth woman, no, sir. 
I want the sadder but wiser girl for me. And, um, yeah, I don't like the sadder part. <laughs> it's just not okay. Essentially talking about like this, um, like wanting like an easy woman, essentially. That's vulnerable also. Right. Like, <laughs> cause she's sad. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, just, not good. I was obviously I wasn't alive at the turn of the century, but I mean, society was a little bit different. I mean, there's still going to be like a lot of like similarities because it's from like one generation to the next, but just the way that I think um, social cues and expectations uh, would be like, I just don't see that yeah. playing out like that. Um, I, I feel like that was like a nod to the audience because they have Buddy Hackett. Sure. You know, but I agree with you and I also don't like it. <laughs> So we're on the same page there. I mean, it's it's a toe tapper, but like just the the lyrics are just. Eh. It doesn't age great. No. <laughs> and no. it's like you're right. It doesn't really fit the tone of the movie because none of the men seem to act like that, and neither do the women. So you're kind of like, this came out of left field. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I guess it's like one of those things, and um, where it's like that like that guy talk, like that behind yeah, closed doors, yeah. which is quite literally what it was, actually. Yeah, I minus, think that's what they kind of at, is like, this would be a private conversation. Yeah. But still, it's like, ew. <laughs> can, we, can we just not type of thing? <laughs> can we what? skip that part? Yeah. But, you know, anytime you see an, an older film in any era, you kind of have to put it in its era and like, like, even though it takes place in 1912, it, it, it was made in the 60s. Yes. Yes, it was. So it's going to reflect, like, the humor of the time and stuff like that. So Yeah. Well, um, which, when when Amaryllis comes up to the, the, the stable door and she's like, can I see the horses? <laughs> Lady, we're closed. Like, we're, we're closed. I mean, come on now. No. All right, fine. Come on in. <laughs> um by the way uh with with amaryllis um i don't know she i know she's like supposed to be somewhat of an insufferable character but like prodding good old young winthrop with his lisp just to oh yeah at the very beginning like you want him to come to a party you have like a, some kind of feelings for him or whatever but come on now really like you're, you're... I think that's another like of its time sort of thing because now we're like horrified by that. Sure. But back then, it's probably like, yeah, take a joke, you know. Right. <laughs> so, with her, um, I was I was looking this up, and I, I had to um, like kind of really pay attention uh, on one of my more recent viewings of this. But whenever she's actually playing "Goodnight, My Someone." Um, so on screen, like you can see, like based on like the keys that she's playing three particular notes, C, G, and E. Mm -hmm. But later on, but like when you actually hear it, it's not C, G, and E that you're hearing. Interesting. Maybe that was just what they could get her to do. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they're like all right next to each other. But like what she's actually playing, that like the actual notes that are being played are B, F sharp, and D sharp. Mm. So like they're... I mean, they're all like right there, essentially. I mean, it's not yeah. too far off, but um, I just thought that was kind of interesting. And then Marion, who sings "Goodnight, My Someone," um, 
is singing it in essentially a different key from what's being played. <laughs> I guess they're like, oh, the audiences won't notice this. <laughs> it's like, no. unless you play the piano. Yeah, like you play piano, do any kind of like music theory studying, stuff like that. I guess we can call it movie magic. <laughs> Gotta love it. Gotta love it. <laughs> um, did you know, did you know that the big reveal at the very end Mm -hmm. is um, actually the USC marching band. I did not. That's really cool. I, I mean, no. it makes sense. They're like, let's get some people that can that can play since we've established these poor children cannot play. Mm -hmm. And all the instruments that were used um, in particular for that one scene were not used like, well, they were never marked like warner brothers or music man or, or anything like that they were they were made specifically for the film wow and then they were just kind of just released like with no pomp and circumstance so there was like no like official marking essentially to denote what it was but they were just kind of like re-released out into the public essentially so wow. someone out there could have a like a coronet a piccolo, a snare, or something from the music man and not even know it. Wow, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I guess it's maybe before they were really making sure, you know, things in movies were treated like artifacts. Right, right. Again, wow. different different time. Things weren't yeah. as, as They're crazy They're like, okay, let's make are. the next movie. Now it's like, oh, we could have made some money with that one. Right, I mean, like, it's not instruments, but like, even like with, um, like, Doctor Who, for example, like, the BBC didn't know that Doctor Who was going to take off as well as it did. And they were like recording over episodes Ugh. to save, you know, to you save real and cost and stuff. With TV. That happened a lot. Yeah. It's just, it's just wild to me, you know? Um, but yeah, di different time. And um, personally, I would love to, to get like a trombone or something from the music man. I mean, that'd be, that'd be stupid cool if I could like track one down. I know. I wonder if somebody's working on that. <laughs> There's got to be some way to kind of figure out a ballpark. This is probably one of the instruments or something. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. If we if, if someone could track down. All right. Listeners, people in listener land. <laughs> look. Get Chase this trombone. <laughs> I need this trombone, y'all. Okay. So help a brother out. So 1-800. I don't know. Make something up. But anyways. We need we need to track these instruments down. We need them. <laughs> so let's 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 come together. Let's like form a compound or something like a pact or whatever, and um, let's let's get some music man instruments and let's start our own River City band. Sounds good. Why not? Why not? I'm going off. <laughs> I'm rambling now. It's fine. It's fine. It's, fine. <laughs> it's what we do on this show. Oh lordy. Um, this is like more of, um, of a connection than anything else. Um, but one thing I mentioned, like playing trombone, I mentioned even um, like the high school thing and, and stuff like that and um, hearing 76 trombones. One thing I didn't know about until just, oh gosh, six years ago, seven years ago, maybe was the fact that this was my mom's favorite musical. Oh. And um, 
we would talk about it without even knowing that we were talking about it. And we didn't know how much we, we both loved this musical. And my mom and I would talk about like the most random stuff and we would like, like incorporate quotes and like song lyrics and stuff like ha- just have like entire conversations, just like using only titles of songs and movies. Like that's just kind of yeah. like what we did. And uh, we just got on a roll one day, just talking about the music man. And um, yeah, like she had, she had moved away like whenever I was in high school. So she'd moved away and never really talked to her about it then. And it wasn't until I was like out of college and, you know, kind of doing my own thing uh, after moving back to Texas that we kind of like found out about the music man together. And it was, it was just such a beautiful thing. And uh, uh, I mean, you know, Lisa, like my mom, uh, she passed away from her um, battle with cancer, but uh, like, that's just one sweet memory that I have with her is that we got to share this musical together essentially before she, she died. No, oh, I'm glad that you you guys were able to share that. Yeah. So there we go. That's my wet blanket moment. Sorry for bringing the the vibe down. Uh, no, I mean it. It doesn't. It's like that's that's what's special to me, at least, about film is like not only do you love the movie, but you end up loving the memories that you create around watching it and enjoying it with other people. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and there was um. There was one time where we did watch it together and um, you did not want to be in the room with my mom and I when, when it actually happened. <laughs> Singing every song. Um, and quoting every line. Yeah, <laughs> pretty, That's pretty much. <laughs> That's the mark of a good movie, though, is when you're quoting along. It's right. it's fun. I've been to a couple like it's not every line in the movie because, you know, a whole theater of people doing that would be a little bit much, but it's sort of like a Rocky Horror-ish thing where, mm-hmm. um, you know, Alamo Drafthouse sometimes did showings where they would do quote-alongs like for Pulp Fiction and stuff like that. And those were really fun to go to because you're just like, when everyone says the quote together, you know, it's on the screen, they put the subtitles up on the screen. There's just something really great to that energy, you know? Yeah. Unrelated to the music man, but um, that's kind of how it was like with um, Austin Powers. Like, you, did, <laughs> you did not want to be in the same room with me uh, back in high school. Um, I was insufferable when it came to that. So Also in the 60s. <laughs> yes, yeah, I have a thing for the 60s, 60s apparently. Set in the 60s, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's probably your parents. Probably. Why not? Yeah. Let's, it, let's... it is for me anyway. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Oh, Lordy. Well... Uh, one other thing that I, I found um, kind of um, cool about um, what they incorporated into this is um, a, um, a set of characters. And it was, um, I, I briefly alluded to it with the, the pig little talk little ladies. But mm-hmm. the barbershop quartet was um, the group, the Buffalo Bills, which was a, um, by all accounts, a wildly successful um, uh, acapella group, a wildly successful oh, uh, quartet from the 1960s. In fact, they, um, I believe it was like 1960 or 1961, they were the winners of this national competition for acapella. Oh, uh, wow. So, so they were kind of formed that way. 
So they were essentially formed that or not, they, they were essentially cast for that reason oh, okay. as, mm -hmm. um, as this group, right? As the, these singing men um, that hate each other, apparently, in, um, in the music <laughs> man. Which yeah. I think is great. Like song, song, like does like wonderful, powerful things um, to our emotions and our experience, and it can bring people together. It can really convey um, emotion in a way that words can't. Yeah, you know they're singing it, and yet these men that have like hated each other for over a decade are now just instantaneously, instantaneously best friends, singing about ice cream and lighter rose and all this other stuff in this film um and have wonderful harmonies by the way wonderful harmonies yeah i agree the whole thing i mean the whole thing is about this confidence man this this con man right yeah um, just trying to get the best out of these people and like the plan is to not just sell instruments but oh by the way we're going to add some some shiny new um and uniforms too and as soon as you get that and i get my cash boom i'm out of here y'all and yeah he falls in love with the librarian and mm -hmm. gets his foot stuck in the door like he says and um what a what a wonderful thing to be you know transformed by um by this whole experience you know like who's the who's the real con in this who's the one that's really doing <laughs> doing this long game essentially is it is it harold hill or is it mary in peru yeah because she later admits she's like i always knew but <laughs> she's like because she's like kind of the more street smart person i think in that town <laughs> she sees right through him right away yeah like she knew within three days that mm. he was a con that there was no <laughs> gary conservatory should have checked his credentials i mean <laughs> i want to see their doggone credentials i like that part where he's like let me go get them they're in my apartment and then he just like leaves it's like, right wow. or he or he pulls out um like his um his little um what his tuning um oh shoot like uh, um like his, his pitch pipe right he, he oh, pulls yeah, out his, yeah. his pitch pipe and just boom, automatically, like, yeah, let's just distract you with song. I'm going to slip away. <laughs> I also uh, liked when he was teaching instruments and he was basically just like, you'll figure it out. And when that, uh, when Ron Howard is trying, challenging him on that, he just tries to make him feel kind of dumb. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, you, you know, this is what you're going to have to do. I can't coddle you. You're going to have to figure it out. And it's like, he's very smooth with evading questions about how to play the yeah. instrument. Yeah, yeah. Use the it's what what I call the think system. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let anyone. What, what he said, like my, my my teacher once told me, Professor Hill, like his teacher called him Professor Hill. Yeah. Are you serious? <laughs> I don't know Let's if you caught there. that. <laughs> I didn't, but that's funny. Um, like don't let anyone touch your instrument. That is your instrument, and when you're ready, <laughs> you'll pick it up and you'll know. Type of thing. <laughs> How nice really? that would be. I would love that. Look, if I didn't have to <laughs> look, man, if I didn't have to worry about like scales and like embouchure, like, oh my gosh, like, can we talk about embouchure? Um, like just like learning how to place my, like my tongue and stuff on the mouthpiece for my trombone. 
I mean, it's not that hard when you're learning how to like do tonguing, but goodness, like just how to like have breath control and everything like that is, that's like just learning right there. Like, yeah, that's not even the playing it part. Right. Like, don't even get me started on like position one through seven, what the notes are for the trombone. Um, or even how to properly hold your trombone to empty your spit valve for crying out loud. Um, which I thought I did think it was kind of funny, like with, um, whenever, um, professor Hill is, is buttering up to Mrs. Peru about, uh, Winthrop and, um, you know, um, how he has like the perfect, um, um, formation for his embouchure. Like all embouchures <laughs> is how you, how you place your, your mouth essentially for your instrument, like whether you're doing a brass <laughs> or a woodwind. So like whether you're playing a clarinet, like how you position your lips and your tongue to get the air to go into the reed to play the notes for a clarinet, or it's again for like a trumpet, a cornet, a trombone, a tuba, bar- um, baritone, whatever it is. Um, that's, that's all it is. That's all it is. And people <laughs> don't know that. People don't yeah. know that in this town, except for Marion, for crying out loud. <laughs> She's the only one. She's the only one. Which, here, here's the thing that I, I wasn't, I guess I wasn't thinking too much about, but, okay, so she teaches piano. She's the musically inclined one. There's a freaking high school in River City, Iowa. Is she the music teacher at the high school? Or, <laughs> or is, like, the music teacher, like, on vacation or something? Like, where's the music teacher that's at the high school? That's what I want to know. That's a good point. Yeah, either they're missing one or she wears a lot of different hats. I don't know. Right? Right? Anyway. Um, <laughs> but where where are these people? Where are these people? Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Gary, Indiana, by the way. I have not. I have been through Gary, Indiana, and it's my understanding that that is actually where um, uh, Michael Jackson and the Jackson family are from, oh. um, where they lived. And Gary, Indiana... At least what it looked like. No offense if anyone's from Gary, Indiana or listening from Gary, Indiana. Indiana is a beautiful state. I've been through Gary, Indiana on my way to and from Michigan to Chicago. Gary, Indiana is not the safest place to live, or at least it wasn't about a decade ago. Um, hmm. uh, it's a very but industrial blue collar town. Right? Do what now? I think this takes place, I thought it was in Iowa. It do, yeah, like River City, Iowa is where they're at. But oh, okay. Harold Hill said that he was part of the Gary Conservatory. Oh, that's right. That's right. Gold okay. medal class of aught five. And and then he says, like, Gary, Indiana is my home sweet home. And anyway, like, I don't know what it was like at the turn of the century. But it's very, like, at least, like, early 2000s, whenever I was living in the Midwest, uh, Gary, Indiana is very much a blue collar town. And mm. people go through Gary, Indiana, for the most part, they don't tend to stay there. So I just thought it was kind of interesting. Um, just like, again, you got, I mean, you got to like, uh, appreciate it for what it is, like in the time that it's taking place, but just like knowing what that part of Indiana is like, in that it's very blue collar, it's not going to be much of a conservatory kind of place. <laughs> um, yeah, he's probably point. hoping they just won't go there cause, or something. <laughs> Right. Now, there very well could be or could have been a Gary Conservatory for all I know, but... Um, not a famous them. one, probably. No. Uh, and no, there is not. There is... <laughs> oh, okay. There Confirmed. is not, by the way. Can confirm. 
just a little on-the-fly research. There is no Gary Conservatory of Music except in this Broadway play. So there we go. Um, one thing that is pretty cool about this, um, I'm sure you've seen um, other musicals like Grease, perhaps, or um, or Footloose, oh, yeah. um, maybe even something like Guys and Dolls, Once Upon a Mattress, stuff like that. Those are all very popular musicals that'll take place um, uh, certainly like in community theater, right? Uh, whether it's like a, a amateur or professional kind of troupe or um, even in high schools, like you might see some of those um, being produced. The Music Man is one, uh, I believe it is one of, if not the most um, produced production in all of stage. Oh. From from like high school type stuff to um, public theater, it is just uh, it's a wildly popular one that's constantly being reproduced, constantly being adapted over and over again. So this this is a a, a production that I think stands the test of time. Yeah, and it has like a it. lot of reach with audiences. Yeah, sounds like it very much so. I mean, like I said, um, you know, more than one person has wanted to talk about it. And, you know, it seems like people kind of lit up in the group when I mentioned I was watching it. So again, if you're if you made it this far in the episode, I hope I haven't let you down yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's been awesome. Let's hope we can only hope we can only hope. Um, <laughs> so the music, I don't know if you uh, were if you had looked into um um, any of the awards that the Music Man had earned? Oh, okay. No, but go um, ahead. So there was um, one award, um, one awarded at the 35th Academy Awards, and nominated for five others. Interesting. So it won Best Musical Score at the 35th okay. um, Academy Awards. Um, so it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, and also um, Best Sound Recording. With um, the um, with the Golden Globes, they um, again it was nominated for quite a few. It won Best Motion Picture for a musical. Oh, nice. Uh, best. It was nominated for uh, Best Director, Best Actor, and Actress. So Robert Preston and uh, Shirley Jones, respectively. And best original score, um, and finally, with the Writers Guild of America, um, they it won best written musical. So um, now we're talking like the the film adaptation. So these are all the film adaptation ones, not the ones that you would typically like receive a Tony for, right? So oh, gotcha. Tony with like the stage, but these are all specific with the 1962 film adaptation of The Music Man. Got it. Okay. So, um, cool. I mean, it did did pretty well, and yeah. um, not only that, but the in um, two thousand five, so the year I graduated high school, by the way, the film was selected for preservation with the um, National Film Registry oh, very by the cool. Legislature of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. So, yeah, buddy. <laughs> great. So I'm, I'm very pleased with um, the fact that it's done as well as, as it has and the fact yeah. that people are still responding to this film. Yeah, still talking 60, about it. Still watching it. 60 years later. Yes. 60 years later. Come on now. <laughs> That's, I think that proves, like you said, that it stands the test of time. Yeah. And um, 
I don't, I don't know. Um, with, uh, with Robert Preston, I mean, he, I believe he passed away in 19, um, I think it was like 80 something from lung cancer. Mm. And, um, Shirley Jones is still alive. Um, she's oh, alive wow. and well, she's in her I think late seventies, early eighties. I think she was, here's the thing that's crazy to me. She was 28 years old in this movie, 28 years old playing Marion Peru. And the thing that's always, um, I don't know, like messed with my head a little bit and like, look, it's not impossible, but it's just kind of weird is that Winthrop is supposed to be eight and okay. um, Marion is supposed to be a full on adult. And you look at Mrs. Peru and I have no idea how old she's supposed to be, but <laughs> wow, you have a potentially a 28 year old daughter and eight year old son. Like, <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> Movie pretend ages. <laughs> Right, let's. We're, we're making this up. Just pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Essentially, it's fine. It's like when you watch a movie and like the parents are like nine years older or something, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Wait a minute here." <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Anyway, anyway. Um. Yeah. I mean, this is just. I. I mean, I do feel like I've kind of gone all over the place with it, okay. but this is just. Um, such a heartwarming movie and um early on even in my marriage uh, my wife knew how much i loved the music man and i had never for whatever reason i had never been able to track down a copy of the huh. of like a vhs or you know a, a dvd or anything like that of it and i can't i think it was for christmas one year she um um she got she purchased it for me i opened it up and my my eyes just like lit up i was just over the moon that's Um, great (laughs) just just seeing like oh my gosh i have a dvd copy of the music man and she had never seen the music man so oh okay so you're like we can finally watch it together (laughs) absolutely let's watch it together right now so like you know we threw away all, all the gift wrapping and everything and threw it in the dvd player and boom we're we're off to the races and this is like like yeah he's a con man but i think the thing about good storytelling is that you have um some kind of transformative experience um, of the human condition that takes place and you see that really with all the characters but especially like your core like three or four in this case, I would consider that to be um, Professor Harold Hill, Marion Peru, Winthrop, and um, maybe Marcellus, played by Buddy Hackett. Maybe. I mean, he's already kind of reformed. But yeah. like with Winthrop, with his his lisp and his confidence, you see that through the course of this movie that it begins to not really even matter to him anymore. Like he doesn't think yeah. about it. Like people aren't as focused on it as you think they are type of thing. Right. Yeah. And then you go from this smooth talking, get in, get out, get on with your life type of um, con man, Harold Hill. And like, he's actually like, sorry in a way for what he's done because he's like, shoot, I actually care about these people. I actually care about this woman now. Like this is different than the other towns I've ever been in. And Marion, who's just so like, wound up essentially and 
um, strictly by the book, how she's kind of even like loosened up and kind of, um, I don't know, eased up a little bit with like her demeanor and how she handles things while still maintaining who she is, like not losing who she is as a result. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think, I just think it works like this movie, just this, this movie, this musical, this story just works um, in talking about the human condition, about love, about improvement, about dreaming to a certain extent, about success, about coming to terms with your past. Um, it, it just, it just does it so well. And it does it with a fantastic, fantastic soundtrack. Yeah, I feel like you've kind of, I was going to ask you a couple of uh, questions, but I feel like you kind of wrapped it up there. <laughs> I do what, <laughs> what I can. What I was going to say, I was going to ask you, like, why do you love it so much? And I think you you said it pretty well. Yeah. And, and not only that, but like, um, like the memories of, of you know, yeah. being able to share with my, my late mother and the fact that I'm a trombone player. Um, I don't play as much as I used to, uh, or at all really, but um but yeah, like just everything, everything. If you haven't watched this movie, um, I don't even know where it is. Like I'm assuming like Voodoo or like yeah, I, other, I rented other places. It iTunes. Okay. So I found it, I found it pretty easily. There you go. I'm sure it's on like most like streaming platforms, like yes, renting yeah. and stuff like that for probably a very affordable rate. If not, like you can go to like, I don't know, um, probably like half price books or a movie trading company or um, shoot even like a certain Wells Fargo wagon here in the 21st century probably has it for you <laughs> too at an affordable price. Completely agree. Yeah. And and that's actually a pretty good pitch too. How, how would you pitch the movie to someone that hasn't seen it before? How would I pitch it? Um, man, you know, I, I knew you were going to ask me this. <laughs> and I still don't know. Um, <laughs> um, I would say if you want to, if you're, if you enjoy a good musical, some, uh, some fast paced, um, smooth talking characters with a little bit of, um, down home charm, this is, this is the, the movie. This is the musical for you. In fact, if you oh, just like okay. musicals, this is the musical for you. I agree. I think, you know, it's, it's a classic musical. It's one that a lot of people return to for a reason. So it, it's definitely one that should be in your, uh, in your collection of, of musicals that you like. And yeah, you can rent it pretty easily on iTunes. So recommend yeah. checking it out. Yeah. And with this being, you know, one of the more um, repeated, repeatedly produced musicals out there i think it would behoove you to check this out yeah for for obvious reasons like why is it that this is being produced as much as it has well check it out i mean robert preston is part of that success formula as far as i'm concerned and shirley jones shirley jones has the most lovely voice ever and the um in fact the the person who played marion in my high school production her name's irene and um, I still stay in contact with her. And um, her voice was like almost like exact with Shirley Jones's. Like her wow. range was just impeccable, even in high school. So, um, I mean, Irene, like she knocked it out of the park whenever she portrayed uh, Marion in our high school production. So, anyway, fantastic. Cool. Please go watch this. 
Yes. Well, Chase, thank you so much, you know, for taking the time out of your day to, to come on this podcast and talk about this movie and, and share your experiences with the film that are personal. And, um, and I also feel like I learned a lot about it. So thank you so much for coming on and, uh, you know, hope to have you back soon. Absolutely. It was an absolute joy to be able to come back and um, have a conversation with you. So thank you so much for inviting me.